You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. I'm a veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage four prostate cancer. During the initial stages of the 2020 pandemic, my doctors advised me to stay at home. But now, two years later, I'm not only healthy, but I've been declared in remission. But I'm still continuing this podcast, during which I'm calling the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who I've met throughout my 30 years in this industry. And now I'm also calling some new people to make some new friends. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. I don't care what business you're in, what your career might be. You, you learn a lot of things from the people around you, the other professionals with whom you work, how to take care of business. And in my case, as a journalist, how to interview, how to write, how to edit, you know, all those things. You soak it up. And I don't mean this as a disparaging comment about my degree from Kansas State University, but most of the stuff I learned in journalism came postgraduate. I went out into the world with enough tools and enough ego to think I could do things, but boy, I had a lot to learn. And when I got into more significant interview opportunities, I found myself really gravitating towards Bruce Hurdle because Bruce always asked the best, most thoughtful, sometimes in depth without being too long questions that got athletes and coaches to stop giving mechanical answers and turn to you and give an answer. It is one of the hardest art forms, whether you're a writer or a TV personality. And Bruce has always been the best. He spent most of his career in Wichita, Kansas. You know him from Channel 12 at KWCH, where he was a legend. And then he suddenly headed off into a new direction. And now he works in TV in Denver while still maintaining a daily radio show out of Wichita with KFH. we got a lot to cover. So let's get going now. And let me call my friend. Bruce Hurdle in Denver, Colorado. Hello. Hey, buddy. How are you? What's going on, Fitz? I thought I had this number blocked. I Well, you should have. You should have done that a long time ago. <laughs> I... Uh... That's, uh, I appreciate that. Well, that's it for the podcast. Hope everyone enjoyed hearing from Bruce. <laughs> hey, brevity has always been not my main uh, my main talking point, I can yeah. tell you. Maybe we should start a podcast together, the 30-second pod, and we just have like, yeah, one yeah. topic, and then we're done. Windbags. Yes. You just call it that, windbags. Hey, uh, I envision you drinking coffee on a deck overlooking a mountain right now. How wrong am I? Uh, close. Uh, it started about uh, 4.30 or 5 this morning, um, reading John Grisham's latest book, nice. which is a collection of three novellas. 
Uh, and uh, that's a fancy way of so, saying yeah. he didn't write. He didn't want to write three full books. He did. Yeah, it's the first time that he's written any kind of novellas, and um, uh, and there and it's interesting. Uh, sparring partners is the is the, his latest effort. So I'm about two thirds of the way through it, and I did a lot of damage this morning with a cup of coffee and a, a very nice, cool start to the day. We've had hundred degree. What? Weather here what? Uh, in Denver. It, it was a hundred yesterday. It's going to be a hundred today. But the great thing, as you know, Fitz, about Colorado, is cool in the morning, cool in the evening, regardless of how hot it is during the day. You never pay for the sins of the day in the morning or the evening in Colorado. So that's its saving grace. Yeah, we're in the midst of a. A little bit of a hot streak. I think tomorrow it's supposed to drop down again, but triple digits for two days in a row. The other day I, I got up and it was like, you know, nine in the morning. And I thought, maybe I'll go work in the yard today because it's only 77 mm. outside. <laughs> and I walked out, Bruce, and my glasses fogged up because I didn't realize yep. it was 87% humidity. What? Yeah. Shouldn't we well, have an ocean the, or a swamp or something? Uh, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, you know, where's the payoff? I mean, I, I guess it, sometime back in some antiquated period, Kansas was all underwater. Well, we're, st- we're still paying for that, apparently. Oh, used to be a lot of beachfront property at one point, not so much anymore. At least we but we're still paying for it. At least we don't have the mammoths walking around or yeah. whatever. <laughs> the woolly mammoths, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, that was, by the way, that's my, uh, when Manhattan High, whenever it comes up, that they need to change their name because they're the Indians and, you know, that whole thing. And yeah, uh, right. I'm like, the mammoths, because they found mammoth bones many years ago out there towards Pillsbury Crossing, I'm told. so. Well, it wouldn't surprise me in that part of the world with uh, the Flint Hills. And I, I, you, you know that there's all kinds of things yep. uh, buried in them, our hills. So, probably, yeah, uh, why not? Probably some of our secrets, too, but we're not going to talk yeah, about probably, that. That's probably where they need to stay. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's spin this back a little bit. Uh, you yeah. spend your entire uh, life in Wichita. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. know, college, right into broadcasting. Yeah. You're, you're a... I mean, you're, I'm going to say it, you're a legend in Wichita. It's it's incredible. Mm-hmm. You're, and then you're just gone. What prompted Bruce Hurdle uh, reinventing Bruce Hurdle and ending up in Colorado eventually? Uh, interesting question. And it was um, it was just time for a change in that um, there are multiple dynamics. If the dynamic isn't just simply, what am I doing professionally? It's where am I as a husband? Where am I as a father? Where am I um, in the feeling that there has to be more to what I'm doing than what I have been doing, even though for 28 years or whatever it was that I was at, uh, that I was at KWCH uh, in Wichita, uh, and KFH Radio in Wichita, which I still, you know, play a part in. But um, at some point, you have to um, you have to kind of reassess. And for me, it happened fairly quickly. Just, uh, just kind of a okay. What is it that you could be doing differently? And I had been doing a lot of play-by-play at that point. Um, I was, I was doing. I had been doing the Wichita State basketball and baseball packages for many years, 
and that had kind of spilled into some other things with the Missouri Valley Conference. I had done uh, some things in the uh, Big 12 uh, and in, at Oklahoma, uh, some stuff in the SEC at Arkansas, but just kind of like bits and pieces. And so uh, it, it occurred to me, well, let's give this thing a shot. And I did. So I freelanced for all, the better part of four years um, and um, uh, maintained the things that I really enjoyed, which was obviously my association with Kansas State football, uh, Wichita State basketball. Um, but I, um, Kenny Mossman, good friend of ours from his days at K-State and then at the University of Oklahoma, um, uh, pulled me into the, uh, to the OU, to the Sooner Television Network, uh, had similar work at the University of Arkansas, and that branched into some things. So I actually made it kind of a pursuit for about three and a half years. And then a good friend of ours, I believe as well, Joan Barrett, uh, was out at uh, at Fox in Denver, and uh, she called me. We got together one day via phone, and she said, I don't imagine you're probably um, – thinking about, you know, getting back into local ever. However, I've got this going on, and uh, and I probably don't need to tell you, one trip to Denver on the right kind of day when yeah. the sun is shining and in March or April pretty much wins the moment. Uh, that's what happened to me. And so decided to basically come out here with the idea uh, that I would make a transition, and I have made a transition, basically from – uh, sports at the college level or even the high school level, which I loved and uh, am so thankful for and miss to a degree, um, to basically working with professional sports. 80, 75%, 75% or so of what I do, what I do now uh, is around the Denver Broncos um, with a little time taken out for the Stanley Cup uh, run by the Colorado Avalanche and then baseball when they're relevant, which hasn't been very much uh, lately. And every now and then a little bit of Denver Nuggets as well. Very little on the college scene. Um, and I miss that. But uh, that's just kind of the bet I've made for myself. Well, I think Colorado uh, is interesting and in how different it is with its sports than, say, the Kansas-Missouri region. And, and granted, Denver has all four majors. Mm-hmm. Franchises and Kansas City only has two, but Kansas City, even though the success of the Chiefs is ongoing, the Royals uh, is yeah whatever. Um, but it's still a college town. I mean, it's KU yeah. basketball. You talk about yeah. college football on the radio. Yeah, the Chiefs dominate now because they're really good uh, during football season. But it's still got a college flavor. Denver strikes me as a town that only has a college flavor uh, if that's your niche. I mean, if it's almost like a, a soccer, you know, in some mm. ways in Kansas City, soccer is really popular, but it's still kind of a group, you know, that, that really follows it. Maybe that's a bad comparison, but I just feel like Colorado and Denver in particular college sports just don't play a big role. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, only in those rare times at CU and Tad Boyle's done a good job with the basketball program. They're pretty generally relevant uh, in the Pac-12. Um, the football has been uh, has been pretty bad and pretty forgettable and uh, 
um, not not tremendously noteworthy for quite some time now. Um, the, the the best college experience sports wise of late was Colorado State's run in basketball this year with David Roddy, the uh, Mountain West Player of the Year, uh, and a first round draft pick. Um, but anyway. Um, and they made the NCAA tournament, but like all good Mountain West teams, and there were four of them this year, went out, uh, crashed and burned in the first round. But they actually garnered attention down the season stretch. It was one of the first times that we've seen that short of, uh, was it four or five years ago, uh, when Mel Tucker took... Colorado right. to the Alamo Bowl, uh, and Oklahoma State had their way with them. So um, that, that's been about it. But, no, you're right on target. It is a pro market, and it is a Broncos market. Um, as good as the Avalanche and even the Nuggets have been, um, and then the Rockies were in the playoffs a couple of years, uh, what, 17 and 18, something like that. It is primarily – and robustly a Broncos market. You have a unique perspective, with all that said, of what realignment could mean for the state of Colorado in terms of the Big 12. So let's skip to that. What are your thoughts as someone who is so experienced in covering the Big 12 and um, knows so much about this conference, and not just the teams, but you have a feel for the, the fan bases and the athletic programs, how do you view, view realignment as it applies to the state of Colorado? I think that at some point, I thought Colorado was probably correct in making the move to the, what, then Pac-10, right. uh, Pac-12, uh, in, back in, what, 2011, I believe, is when they made the move. It made sense to me at that time. Um, Colorado was always a great trip for us um, from the from the plains to come out to the mountains, uh, but they, but it always felt different. It always felt strange. Not the same as going to Lubbock or Ames or back in the day Lincoln or Columbia. Um, it always felt different. And their recruiting base was so uh, California-centric, and they, they did so much out there. So it seemed like it was going to be a really good fit. And I think to some degree it's been a decent fit, but I don't think that it's probably resulted in the growth of the program that they had hoped for. Some of that is the Pac-12 itself. Um, Larry Scott, uh, longtime commissioner, I didn't think did the PAC 12 any kinds of favors by entering into, um, the, the PAC 12 after dark and, and, and they, they took a shot at trying to do things differently and kind of got out of the model of playing football, for instance, in the light of day, not that they all did, but you know, that they played a lot of night games and stuff like that. And they really have kind of fallen off the grid. Uh, I don't think that I think the Pac-12 has not done themselves any favors. And so now they find themselves as kind of I don't want to say the odd man out because who knows what's going to end up happening. Um, but uh, I think that Colorado 
at some point will be back in the mix with the Big 12. And I think that it is a notion that has, I'm not going to say picked up momentum, but I think that there are a lot more people now that probably miss some of the rivalries in the Big 12, Nebraska, Kansas State, Iowa State. Um, They still resonate uh, to some elements of the of the Colorado fan base, probably not the younger element. Obviously they don't have any recollection now, 11 years later, but I don't think that the PAC 12 in its current state, uh, depending on what happens, especially if the sec continues to grow, putting pressure on the big 10 to try to keep up with the Joneses, uh, because the next two that are going in the big 10, unless they're going to just wait for, Notre Dame, which would make a lot of sense. And Notre Dame has, what, two years left on its deal with NBC. They're not in any hurry to claim anywhere. But Oregon and Washington would make the most sense. So the Pac-12 cannot function without Oregon and Washington having just lost um, UCLA and USC. It just simply could not happen. Um, So I would think that it would be prudent uh, and Rick George is their um, athletic director right now. I, I would think it would be prudent at this point for them to be exercising all options. And I think the main option right now is them to be a part of a foursome with Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah to enter into the Pac-12. But as you and I have talked on numerous occasions, there are so many moving parts yeah. in realignment in uh, in this country right now that it's really hard to say. That would make the most sense to me, but who knows? Yeah, it's interesting to me because right now I'm, I'm hearing some pushback from the Pac-12 schools about aligning right. with little old Big 12, you know, the academic yeah. uh, dunces that we are out here. <laughs> <clears throat> and and I get that. Look, if you're Colorado and the Big Ten calls, you go. I mean, there's no there's no doubt anymore. I mean, there's no there's no reason to be loyal um, in realignment right now because if the Big Ten or SEC calls, you're an idiot for not going. Even though I think the consequences in the long run won't be great. Um, I mean, people keep losing sight of that. Someone's got to lose the games, and it's probably going to be your team if you're the newcomers. Just the way it's going to mm-hmm. be, but um, uh, you know, when Colorado left, I was like, "Yeah, they're California University in Colorado." That's right. That's the way they always felt, but they just lost their two California institutions that they were most um, closely aligned with, and now they got to be thinking, "Well, we don't." The main reason we came isn't here anymore. What are we doing? And I know it kind of swallows your pride to go limping back home to mom and dad, but that's what it feels like uh, that they might have to do. I'm just going to be very interested to see how the Pac-10, what's left of it, uh, you know, the Pac-10 has 10 now, If what these schools actually do because they don't have the same advantage the Big 12 did of trying to stay together because the Big 12 was willing to take schools that maybe didn't reach the academic standard the Pac-12 wants. And 
they just don't have that around them. You can't add Boise and talk about academics. You can't add UNLV right. and talk about academics. Fresno, That's just, right. Yeah, Fresno. You. you know, maybe San Diego State gets you by. I don't know. But I just don't see anyone in their hemisphere of influence that would want to join the conference that meets their standards also. I just don't see how it's going to work. Well, I don't understand. I mean, what does it mean to Stanford that all of a sudden they would be aligned with Iowa State, which is no longer what? What is it, an AAU or yeah. um, uh, with, with their standing, they've let it lapse or they, they, they resigned. not to. Yeah. They resigned from it, right? So, um, but what difference does that make? I mean, really, in the grand scheme of things, we are now in survival mode in college football. Uh, and thus in college sports, because football runs the engine. It is the fuel that runs the engine. And, and for the foreseeable future, it will continue probably for as long as you and I are around uh, on this earth. So so Stanford, and, I, and look, I'm not picking on Stanford. It's a fine institution. And by the way, I think Kansas State's had a, a really good run mm-hmm. uh, with Stanford. So I applaud uh, David Shaw and and what they do at Stanford. And and I appreciate what they stand for academically. But what does that matter now? I mean, are we we really going to stand on that kind of propriety? Well, we've got to maintain an academic standard with with the neighborhood we're living in. You know, first of all, it's a it it it's snobby and presumptuous at 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 best. And um, and and Everybody just needs to take a step away now and say, okay, well, look, am I going to be involved with the uh, keeping up with the Joneses, which basically is what has happened now in college football? And the answer is no, because the Big Ten and the SEC have already spoken or they're continuing to speak. And to your point, if the SEC calls, what idiot wouldn't say yes at this point? I mean, is someone going to say, well, you know, I'm not sure about the academic uh, emphasis in the SEC or uh, what? Are you kidding me? How do you feel about $57 million a year or north of that in television revenue? Because that's what all of this is fueling. We can have our errors if we choose to. Great. Fine. Good luck with that. That's not what this is about anymore. This is about the next level of professionalism being played at the college level, plain and simple. Keep up or get left way behind and change forever your relevance or lack thereof in the college sports landscape. Yeah, I'm I'm just fascinated by the amount of influence academics puts on the athletic departments at these schools. Uh, <laughs> I, I look, I understand that that's noble. I understand that um, you certainly don't want, as an academic institution, you know, bringing in a bunch of subpar students or or find out they're cheating on grades. You don't want any of that. No, but, of course not. But uh, even. When you back up and look at, oh my gosh, I got to affiliate myself with Kansas State. Well, right now with the National Biodefense Facility about ready to open, actually Kansas State makes a lot of sense if you're a research institution because Mm -hmm. there's going to be some very unique stuff going on here that you can't be exposed to anywhere else. I guess exposed to is a horrible way to say in Beth. 
Um, but uh, yeah, we don't want that the the whole what foot and mouth. What is it? Hoof and mouth. What whatever. Hoof and mouth. Right. And we don't want sure. that out. We just don't. I, I wouldn't look good with that. Um, but hey, I just I, I'm just blown away by how different culturally these two conferences are. And when I say culturally, I don't mean politically. I mean the emphasis, importance of athletics and where it stands as part of your institution at the administrative level, but also at the fan level. And uh, I still see I see fans like, well, we don't want to go to that. We're we're an academic institution. I'm like, what's it matter if you're an academic institution? If you want to play sports, then you better play them. It doesn't matter at all. And um, this is whether or not you're relevant athletically. Um, the days of trying to uh, congregate with like-minded academics or institutions that, uh, that emphasize academics. Look, we all want the highest level of academic pursuit at the institutes that we follow, that we're sending our children to, um, the opportunities that young men and women have athletically, that they can continue to, to work towards, a, that's wonderful, to work towards a degree. We all, we all understand that. And that should be continue to be the goal of every university. But athletics is a different creature in a Power Five, well, the, the changing, the, the next level after the Power Two, <laughs> the, the next level, whatever we're calling that now, what the, 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 the third power conference. That's basically what the game is right now, Fitz. You and I are sitting here along with every other person who has a great interest and maybe a history in, the game, in, in college football in particular, because that's what we're talking about, college football. Um, but we are in a place now where how is the dust going to settle? Will there be another quote unquote power conference with a seat at the table? Um, we don't even know the answer to that. I mean, the SEC and the big 10 could very easily take their ball and go home and say, you know what? You guys figure out the rest. We're good. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I think it would be short-sighted. I think it would be a mistake. I think that college football is a national phenomenon, but still has very strong provincial ties. Uh, and, uh, and I think it's important for Oregon to be able to compete for the same thing that Alabama is or that Kansas State is able to compete at the highest level for what Michigan or Ohio State is, a national championship. It can be done. The question now, though, with all of the collection of, collection of power, both in the Big Ten and the SEC, is are they going to be willing to share in that? I don't know the answer to that. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But that's what we're all doing right now. Yeah. We're all waiting to see who steps forward. Is it going to be somehow the big 12 um, running this ship. I mean, can the PAC 10 possibly keep it together? And where does the ACC see itself right now? Because the ACC is basically the cherry pickers for the SEC. 
right? Yep. I mean, when the SEC needs somebody else, if it's, it's going to be Florida State, Clemson, uh, Miami, although I've heard that Florida is really pushing hard against Miami's inclusion, but whatever, Miami's going to end up somewhere. Um, you know, that's where they're going to go. And who's going to say no? Forget it. Those days are gone. It's all you better be out for yourself and figuring it out. And I think for me, the best way is the bigger, the better. Go big or go home, because if you're big enough and strong enough, you can't be denied. Either by maybe by the Big Ten and the SEC, because they'll be so big that it won't matter. But by television networks. And that's what this is all being fueled by television networks, television money. Well, there's a lot of television and there's a lot of money out there. We know who's going to be in bed with the Big Ten and the SEC, but are there others out there? I think the answer is yes, and that's going to be the challenge moving forward. I kind of feel like the Big 12 um, is a guy that got shot by a sniper twice, Mm. but 10 years apart. Yeah. So yeah. they, they got to heal up and take another bullet. I, I This might be a horrible analogy, but it's where I'm going. Uh, but I feel like the Pac-12 and the ACC are about to get shot multiple times at once, and they're not going to be able to survive it. I, I, I think I think once someone cracks the ACC grant of rights, their media deal, and proves mm-hmm. that it can be broken, you're going to see the Big Ten and SEC in a bidding war for the programs they want or whatever kind of – Mm-hmm. However, they want to romance these schools because the ACC is full of a lot of tantalizing properties if you're a conference or a TV network. But here's the great news. Even if they both take four, that leaves some really good properties behind that would also really fit with the Big 12. So I'm just fascinated by this. And I don't know how uh, if the ACC loses one, they're going to lose 12. That's really the way I feel at this point. That's interesting. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Uh, and, and I think and I think that if the SEC is intent and, and there have been multiple reports, even well, some reports in the last week or so that it doesn't appear that they may be over with. Um, does that force the Big 12 or the Big Ten's hand uh, to, to keep up? I don't know. Right now, it seems like you got them both at the same kind of speed. But I'm not sure that um, that the SEC is content being on a similar level with the with the Big Ten or the Big Ten the same way with the SEC. Someone wants to be uh, the top property, uh, you know, and and I and how they're and how they'll battle it out is probably going to dictate where the rest of college football uh, falls. But Fitz, I mean, there's an opportunity here. To get big and to get strong, mm-hmm. uh, I, I I mean, I I don't know about most people in Big Twelve territory, but if you if you have a chance to to get in bed with Washington and Oregon, to me, those are pretty good bedfellows. Yeah. Those are pretty those are pretty good strong programs across the board with really good football tradition. Um, Washington. Big time stadium. Um, obviously, they haven't had the type of success consistently that John James produced 
uh, many years ago and won a national championship, and they should have won probably two, but that's an argument for another day. Uh, Oregon has obviously been hell. Oregon and Washington are the only two programs in the in the Pac-12 that have been to the CFP. I would love to be in a situation where they would be available. Um, and I think that there are plenty of places out of the ACC that would be very attractive as well. And, I mean, is there anything wrong with thinking about, you know, Pittsburgh or, you know, or Virginia or something like that? No, I think Virginia might go the way of, of the Big Ten, but we'll see. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, there's just so many interesting moves yes. coming up next. And I think if you're the Big 12, you don't want to you don't want to stand pat. You've got to move, but no. you also don't want to get overly aggressive and add schools that uh, you probably wouldn't have added if you knew right. this school was available. And they might have already done that. They might already feel like we just added some schools that, in hindsight, we probably shouldn't, but they're now part of our conference. I, I don't know, Bruce. It's, it just fascinates me, and, and it's unfortunate for the college football fan because there's going to be some great fans right now. It looks like Oregon State, Washington State, those type of fans are just going to be left on the outside of where they've yeah. been playing for years, and it's not fair. It's not right. It was going to be Kansas State. Many times I was told Kansas State was out, and and it still it hasn't worked that way. And it looks like the Big Twelve will end up being the third conference, which is a fascinating turn of events and very no question symbolic of the members in this conference. Uh, I just think the Kansas States, the Iowa States, the Oklahoma States, uh, Texas Techs have always felt like someone's underling, but didn't mind that didn't care. We're the little guy and we're going to punch you in the mouth. And that's exactly what the conference has become. Which is kind of gratifying, I think, in, a, in an interesting way for those institutions. You're, and you're right. I mean, those four in particular, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Iowa State, Kansas State, so similar in so many different ways. Um, all of them have risen to various levels of success uh, at one time or another. Uh, Kansas State has been in the national championship picture. Uh, Oklahoma State has been there, uh, save for a slip-up maybe one year with Brandon Whedon up at Iowa State, for goodness sakes. Iowa State uh, has had uh, has had their, their own moments, not to the level of Kansas State and Oklahoma State or even Texas Tech, who for a minute was uh, amongst the top teams in the country. Um, I think it served them well because they're all survivors. Right. You know, they're all, they all dig their heels in and they all accentuate the best of what they have to offer. They never feel like they have to prove themselves to anyone although they get the chances, and a lot of times they do prove themselves. But I don't think that that's what drives them. I think what drives them is, I like how we are. I like who we are. I like what we have to offer. I like how we've built things. Um, I mean, what, does Iowa State still have the, is it the third biggest stadium in the league? Yeah, yeah. and they fill it. They fill it even. And they fill it even if they're the season isn't going as the way they thought. Like last year, they still right. fill the damn thing. It's impressive. I, I mean, Fitz, you and I've been well. You've been going more years now than I have, but for many years, we'd be going in and out of Ames, Iowa, and I would always come back with the same thought: 
These fans are freaking fantastic. They show up. They know what they're talking about. I mean, we'd seen it for many, many years going into Hilton Coliseum and the whole Hilton Magic thing, you know, but those were really good programs. I mean, they were suffering trying to find traction in football, um, but they, but they, but it was always the, the hope and the promise of building something better and more consistently. And they're there now. They're there to that point. Um, it's a challenge, but. Man, the program, the facilities, and the way that they have done things there has been nothing short of impressive. And, you know, you can say the same thing for what Oklahoma State has done. And, yeah, you can talk about Boone Pickens and all of that. But Mike Gundy's done a hell of a job with that program. They are relevant more consistently at a higher level than I think a lot of people felt like they could be. But all four of those programs, in their own way, have been very prideful and have been and have never been worried about what others think. They just go about their business and they have their success. I think that that's really redeeming. Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Let's go back to uh, your own personal realignment. Um, but I want to go back to the start. Tell me about sure. Bruce Hurdle as a baseball player. I mean, people don't know. <laughs> you played for the Shockers. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know anything about your baseball career. Give me the background. Well, I, I was, I guess, good enough to play there, but didn't, wasn't, didn't do much with it. Um, I mean, I was, I played uh, in the second year of the program. So that would have been in the 78, no, 79. God, you're old. Uh, Gene, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm old. Uh, Gene started the program up in 77, uh, literally from scratch. And they finished that first year in the championship series for the Missouri Valley Conference in the very first year of Gene's existence. Uh, by the time that I got the year, there the next year, um, we were on our way to a 65 and 15 season. Mm. Of course you could play, you could play forever. Uh, and we didn't play a lot of great teams then, but, but you could see it coming. The, our, one of our last series was against Arkansas and this was the Kevin McReynolds, uh, Ron Reynolds was down there. Um, Johnny Ray was playing for that team. And they finished second in the country that year to Fullerton, I believe. And we beat them in a doubleheader. 
at the end of the season, mm-hmm. Joe Carter went crazy, and you could see the worm starting to turn. And, of course, three years later, they were in the College World Series final. Um, so, I mean, I was, I, was a, I was a good enough baseball player that I would make at least a semi uh, responsible journalist. And, and, and that's the, and that's the fact of the matter. I mean, I was, I, I mean, I, I, I'm thankful for the time that I had in the program. Um, and I was pleased to have been there. Um, and I only played for one year there. Uh, and then, then tell, and then radio kind of beckoned and I had gotten weary of, uh, I'd gotten weary of the business of playing baseball all year round. Cause we played, yep. uh, we played 80 games. We played probably uh, we, that doesn't count the 30 or so games because back then you could play Juco's in the fall and we played them all the time. Uh, and so you played 30 some games in the fall and that didn't even count wherever you were going. Uh, Cape, Alaska, uh, Minnesota, down to Texas, wherever you were going to go play um, summer ball. And it just got to be too much for me. And I needed to do something different. Uh, And I had one professor uh, at Wichita State uh, who took in and I was I was not into any sort of journalism or broadcasting at all, but I took a radio production class because it fulfilled one of my responsibilities for my English literature major. Sure. Or which I, which I was pursuing. What the hell I was going to do with English literature, I still to this day don't know, but it seemed like a good thing uh, to uh, to pursue at the time. And um, and this this professor um I was rehabbing a shoulder that summer, and uh, he recommended me for an internship at KFH Radio in Wichita, wow. in, and, 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 I, and I took it more than anything, Fitz, just to kind of like, all right, I'll, it was a paid internship. I'll, I'll go and I'll just do a little something, uh, and we'll see what ends up happening. Well, Ken Softley, uh, who uh, was at the time... Uh, had been previous to Mike Kennedy, uh, the voice of Wichita State, uh, but had but were, was no longer doing that, but was basically finishing up his career at KFH. And he had worked with the Gus Grevy and and went all the way back to that crew, Rick Weaver, and and and, and I hope that I'm not well. I'm dating my not myself, but Ken a little bit. He's still around, by the way, um, but he left. Uh, in August that year. And so, and they offered me the job and I was like 30 hours away, 30 some odd hours away from a degree. Um, I figured, well, okay, I I could, I could do that. Well, do I want to continue to play? And I kind of did want to continue to play, but this made sense to me and it allowed me to do sports. And it was the only real thing that led me to sports. And so I did that for, you know, basically three, three and a half, three, three years or something like that. And my big break was doing the Wichita Wings, which which was the old MISL, Major Indoor Soccer League. And so you can imagine being 21 years old, 20, 20, 22, 
22 years old, something like 21, 22, something like that. And all of a sudden, uh, painting on a totally empty canvas. Because Fitz, I probably I, I I knew about as much about soccer as you did at that point, <laughs> and 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 indoor soccer. I, I mean, are you kidding me? Did they even play indoor soccer? Well, not only did they play indoor soccer, but they played indoor soccer at a high enough a level that you were that I was uh, once. I had aligned myself with the wings and been become essentially their first play-by-play guy um, was going into New York city mm. was going into San Diego, San Francisco, Los Angeles, the forum in Los Angeles, McNichols arena, the old McNichols arena uh, here in Denver, uh, Tacoma, the Tacoma dome, uh, Phoenix, uh, you name it. I was going in and out of these places on the company dime at a young age. So you can imagine the amount of fun that I was having from, with all of these guys from Europe that were about my age, some of them older, obviously, and, and, and more mature. But you can imagine what that was like. And, it, uh, and then that ended up uh, turning into a call from KWCH, which was fourth in a three-station market at that time, <laughs> uh, and uh, the old KTBH, and they changed the call letters, KWCH, uh, and um, a guy named Steve Ramsey, who's no longer with us, took a chance on me because he used to listen to me on KFH, and uh, and he used to call me when he, he when he came had me to come in to to interview he said yeah you're like the you're like the lone crying wolf in this market and because i was a totally unpolished i was uh, but i was brash and uh and, and had no carburetor no 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 form of of filter whatsoever mm, yeah. and just and just and fired right from the hip and he took a chance on me for television, and uh, and that seemed like a pretty good idea to me. So I uh, came over and did a um, and, and and took on an interim basis. It gave it a shot for about oh, let's see, it was uh, July, August, September, and then uh, in October they put me so. What what holiday do we have in September? It was a long weekend. It was sometime some long weekend that we have. Is that Labor Day? Yeah, something. I can't. Is I can't. I can. It's football I can, season, but, so I don't. I don't observe. Holidays. Yeah, whatever, whatever, whichever one. It would, so anyway, and they had told me they they brought me in, and uh, before before this long weekend, and said, you know what, this isn't going to work. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. But this, this is, this is, this, I don't think this is the direction that we want to go. And I said, okay, great. Thank you. I appreciate the time. But hey, by the way, it's a vacation, it's a long weekend. Can you work this weekend? And so I worked that Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday stretch. That Tuesday, they called me back and offered the job to me, sports director, with virtually no experience whatsoever. And, um, and I took over, and I don't know what happened during those four days, but it was enough for them to say, yeah, okay, it's going to work out. So I went from basically figuring out how what I was going to do to go back and either finish up school at Wichita State or I was going to transfer back up to where I grew up in the Pacific Northwest 
um, and, and go up to go back and, and finish up there and then probably teach and coach. That's probably the direction that I was good, that I would, would have been going instead. It turned into television and nearly what? 38 incredible. years later now, if there's something like that, I'm still doing television. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, and you were just uh, a mainstay in the Wichita, in the Kansas markets. It, it uh, was kind of a shock to the system when you left, but um, mm. I, I, I learned a lot from you, my friend, through the years. Ah, you're kind of saying. I, I learned. Kinda... I learned how to ask questions uh, in a conversational way, instead of just throwing. Here's a question. Answer it. Here's a question. Answer it. Having a conversation and watch the athlete kind of relax and respond because they have to get. They're they're forced to give a thoughtful answer at that point. I appreciate that. I literally learned that from Bruce Hurdle. Well, you're kind to say it. I learned that really early on, and I when when young people in the industry asked me about it, um, it's one of the which I'm glad. It's one of the first things they asked me about. Um, there's always a way to get an answer to a question that maybe you don't get the first time by asking it a particular way. Right. So you circle back around to it. And you figure out a way that makes them more comfortable to give you what you need or what they really want to tell you, but maybe they just don't feel the first time around quite as comfortable. There is an art to it. Mm -hmm. You've got to work at, you've got to work at it. And, um, um, but yes, and it, to this day, it, it serves me well. And, um, uh, it's probably the single most important thing um, from a standpoint of style and skill set that I learned at a young age that was um, that, that that you had to bring every single day. And I still use it. I still I write the, every day and it's every day starting, let's see, two weeks from Wednesday. It will be Broncos every single day. And, and that's the way I converse still. Coaches, players, doesn't make any difference. Um, conversational is a good thing yeah. because people all want to be more conversational, I think. And if you give them an opportunity to do it, I think that you'll be pleased with the results. But you got to listen. And you do a great job. Anybody that is conversational has to be a good listener right. because you can't have conversation without <laughs> – listening to what the other person is saying. And you see so many young people now that get into uh, questions and they fire at fire them just kind of one after the other. And they're not listening. And, and, and I've never understood how that works for me. It doesn't work, but that's fine. Well, I guess the other lesson I always teach my young guys is um, it's kind of like, getting ready to play a game, you got to warm them up a little bit. You, sure. You, you can't just walk up and, and, and throw the big question at them. If, if you're really after something of substance, not how'd the game go. I mean, something, there's something here that you want to get into. 
you ask how the game go first, and then you ask, hey, uh, how did so-and-so play? And you just kind of warm them up a little bit, and then mm-hmm. you get them going. And, and I always admired uh, the way you would come into a conversation, uh, you know, a group setting where there's five, six reporters around, kind of let everyone do their work. do Just kind of get them going a little bit, and then here comes Bruce with his level of questions. <laughs> and and well, how many times in the in the course of my career I've seen someone, like, pivot their body language towards you and, like, I'm now – there's no one else here now. I'm having a conversation with this guy because hmm. our, the best answers you get aren't from interviews. They're from conversations, and those aren't the right. same thing. And once you understand the difference between those, you're going to be okay as a journalist. And also – and this is something that you've never had an issue with – and good questioners are people that are willing to – broach something at times that's uncomfortable too but if it's conversational it doesn't seem as aggressive does that make any sense yeah, you don't feel yeah you don't feel like you you all you never want someone to get on the defensive by being offensive i mean i think of all the times we were in with coach snyder over the years and coach could answer tough questions and he he wouldn't shy away he wouldn't suffer fools now there's a difference with coach snyder he wouldn't suffer fools and if you ask a foolish question that didn't come from a place of preparation and knowledge he would call you on it and he wouldn't have much patience for it but there were times when you could get to the crux of the matter in a very conversational fashion that he would be very candid um, and in not giving away secrets. That wasn't coach's way, but, but very candid about things, about the manner in which some teams played. He would not call guys out, but collectively uh, and, and things of that nature. And that was to me always the challenge, especially with someone like coach, because you had to earn his respect to get that kind of interaction with him. Um, I was always very proud of being able to have cultivated that. It meant a great deal to me over the years, and it's still one of the things I'm proudest about. I agree. I agree. Being able to get Bill Snyder to give you thoughtful answers um, is is an accomplishment. Um, And I'd still hear it from fans. Why didn't you ask why the quarterback played so bad. You're not going to get an answer. You're wanting me to ask the big question that won't get an answer. My job is to get an answer. Right. And so many people still miss that. I'm trying to get information here. And also, to be real honest, I'm trying to get information without damaging a relationship that I'll need for future information. Totally. So, and that's and that's a huge part of the equation. Absolutely right. right. Yeah. Okay. Back to baseball because I want to know what was it like playing for a legendary coach? Because you did. And is Gene Stevenson actually Dabney Coleman? Because I think they're the same person. (laughs) You know, I mean, they were separated at birth, and the irony is that Gene's about as dry as Dabney Coleman too. Uh, he really is. I, I love, I, I love Ken. Uh, he is, uh, he's, he's an absolute gem, um, that probably, uh, I, I don't know if he's even appreciated more now 
for what he was able to do literally from scratch. And he rubbed people the wrong way because he had to fight for every single thing that he got. Um, and he had no hesitation to do it. And, um, and as such, he was an incredibly blunt uh, leader and coach. Uh, remember, this is a guy that, that won a uh, batting title uh, at the University of Missouri. This is a guy that was, uh, that was Enos Seymour's right-hand man at the University of Oklahoma. And to a large degree, uh, well, should, and gets a lot of credit for the success, especially uh, at the end of uh, Coach Seymour's tenure there in the late 70s, uh, and then literally started a program from scratch at Wichita State. He was demanding. He did not... Um, he was the type of coach that if you made a mistake and learned from it, then he was good with it. If you made a mistake and didn't learn from it, he wasn't as good with it. Uh, and, um, he had a tremendous eye for talent. Uh, the team that I played, the, the teams right in that, in that grouping, 78, 79 into 80 or 79 and into 80 and 81 produced probably eight or nine big leaguers from Joe Carter to Charlie O'Brien to Brian Elkers to Don Heinkel, Phil Stevenson. The list goes on and on. There were a lot of dudes that ended up playing in the big leagues. So he had a tremendous eye for talent and was able to get them there from the West Coast, from Oklahoma, where he did an incredible job uh, recruiting, um, but virtually anywhere. I mean, he pulled Eric Wedge out of um, Fort Wayne, Indiana. He pulled um, Mike Lansing out of Sheridan, Wyoming. Hmm. He pulled, it pulled Pat Mears out of Salina, Kansas. Those guys were all big leaguers, and those guys were – Big leaguers that stuck, and Eric Wedge was an American League Manager of the Year. So he he and 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 a lot of credit goes to his first top assistant Terry Jolly, and then of course to Brent Kimnitz, who is really legendary uh, at Wichita State and with the program as one of the most successful pitching coaches in the history of college baseball. Um, uh, and and they and they just were dogged in their determination. And, um, I mean, they were in the national championship game in 82. They were a stutter step away from it in 88, uh, lost in the national semifinal game, won it all in 89. Were there in 90, were in the finals again in 91, uh, were there again in 93 and then 96. So, I mean, for, for about a decade there, they were an absolute institution. Um, now things have changed. College baseball is different now. There's a lot more emphasis in athletic departments with college baseball, but um, but really great coaches that um, that believed in the guys that they brought in. The one thing about Gene Stevenson that I will always appreciate is he taught, is he he he, uh, he treated you like a man from the get go. He gave you that kind of respect and continued to give it as long as you earned it and as long as you proved that you earned it. He was, he was very fair 
that way. Um, but he expected a lot out of his guys. Uh, and I was uh, glad to be a very, and I mean an infinitesimal uh, uh, part of it. I played a lot bigger role as a media member than I ever did as a player there. Well, as we teach lessons on how to do interviews and conversations, I'm going to uh, just blatantly gloss over 30-plus years at KWCH because we're running out of time. But i got to ask you this. You you started at KFH. That's where you you were born into the Mm -hmm. journalism business there, and you're still with them. I'm fascinated by a guy who's now in Denver doing a daily radio show out of Wichita, how cumbersome challenging is that and um why do you keep doing it 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 probably sounds more challenging and cumbersome to listeners than it than it should i i don't know why i i, I originally um i just like staying in touch um i still was very strongly connected obviously to the program at k-state there are numerous people uh, that I can call at K-State and um, be fairly sure that I'm up to speed uh, with things. I have similar connections, not anything like I do at K-State, but have s- some connections at Kansas that remain that allow me to remain in the loop and obviously have very strong uh, connections at Wichita State, very, very strong connections still to this day. So, and I enjoy the process of radio, and um, and I do some fill-in work here in Denver, um, and but I've always enjoyed the people that I've been able to work with that have made it easier. Um, for many years, it was uh, Shane Dennis. Um, who's now doing his own thing on ESPN Wichita, uh, and Jacob Albright, uh, who I work with now, who is uh, such an intelligent voice and yeah. does uh, such 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 a such a great great job. Um, and do I have the time to work on it the way that I probably should on a daily basis? I'll be candid and say probably not. Uh, not as much as I would like, but um, can I sit down and with r- relative confidence intelligently speak on the things that we speak about? Chiefs, no problem. Royals, no problem. Hell, I mean, I'm in, I'm in a league that I cover a team that plays the Chiefs, so that doesn't change. Um, but obviously with KUK State and Wichita State, it's still not that hard for me to be fairly informed uh, and not to embarrass myself too much. So, uh, and I enjoy the process. Radio is where I got my start. As you said, it birthed me into the business. And there is a part of me that um, the last thing that I want to be doing is probably radio. And I think that probably it will be. Um, I mean, I've got a couple of years left in television and then, um, and then I really will probably be difficult to find. I think at that point, <laughs> I, you know, because 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 I love the world, and there's a lot of places that I haven't seen yet, but I'm going to end up seeing them. I'm going to tell you that. Well, I'll say hi to Sarah for me, and hope that everyone's doing you. well. Um, it's great to talk to you, my friend. I love you, and it's great to catch up. And I look forward to talking to you again. Same to you, Fitz. All the same. See you, buddy. Okay, buddy. Bye.
I really did not intend that interview to turn into a whole conference realignment expansion topic, but uh, there we went. That's what I love about these. I, I don't really pre-plan them. I don't write down questions. I might have some notes, but let's just see what we want to talk about. It's two friends on the phone. So that was a lot of fun. That was really informative, too. My final thought on the realignment aspect is the Big 12 is filled with ag schools. And if you've come from any kind of ag background, even if you're just around it and not really affiliated with ag, which would be my background. I, I never grew up on a farm. I've never spent time on a farm, but I've been around those who have. You can curse the rain, but you can't control the rain. And that's really been beneficial to these schools in conference realignment. I wanted to talk to Bruce about all the things he covered while in Wichita, and I got none of it done. So maybe he's a candidate for a, a second edition of The Life of Fitz. And as always, guys, get to your doctor, get your PSA scored. It might save your life. You might find some issue with your prostate you didn't know about. Take care, everyone. I will talk to you real soon.